You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless, he is, unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ryan. Good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are visiting with us tonight, I just want to echo Ryan's welcome to you. We are so glad that you've joined us. If I could serve you in any way, I'd love to uh, be able to do that. Uh, I want to mention one more real quick announcement uh, before we jump into our time. Actually, we're going to do something else after that announcement. But I want to remind you about something. We asked you to participate in the month of December. On um, Back uh, in December, we shared with you that our annual Christmas mission offering uh, was going to be given to our dear friends Jim and Laura Campbell, who are still uh, headed over to the U.K., uh, God willing, at the end of this month. And so um, we have made a decision to extend uh, this time for you to give to them. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you haven't done that prayerfully uh, and sacrificially, you can do that uh, through your online giving uh, on Realm. It's real easy. There's just a pull-down menu. If there's another way that you would prefer to give, please let me know or one of the leaders here know, and we'll figure out how to get that uh, to them. But um, Really encouraged by the giving so far, and we look forward to sharing with you as we uh, finish up this, this process in the next week or two weeks uh, uh, leading up to uh, a time where we can honor Jim and Laura and share some of that kind of information. So please give if you haven't. We'd love to continue to, to think about that and bless the Campbells in that way. Uh, before we jump into our, our sermon uh, tonight, I really feel like we need to take a moment to uh, consider uh, something. Uh, it's no mystery to you that this week uh, we uh, experienced and witnessed um, probably one of the most shocking and, and saddest days in our nation's history. And honestly, we've had a lot of shocking and, and saddening days uh, in, our, um, in our nation's history, uh, in the, even in the past year. And, of course, what happened this week at the U.S. Capitol building uh, was no exception. And we don't really have time, nor I don't really feel led to adjudicate what happened this week, to talk about who's responsible or what happened and what we should do about it. Um, what I, I really think we need to do is to pray. And I don't know how you feel about prayer. You know, sometimes when these kinds of things happen and you say, you know, what I know something that I can do is pray. Uh, that gets, uh, at least online sometimes, you get real pushback on that. In other words, people are like, you should do more than that. And so I just want you to hear 
that I don't think prayer is the only thing that we can or should do in moments like this, but I think it's an essential thing that we have to do. And so what I want us to do just is to take a moment, and I'm going to lead us in prayer, and I would just ask as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed that you would, um, along with me, reflect on the words of the prayer and, and consider it your prayer as well. Um, these are things that I believe in prayer we can agree on. And so I want to invite you to do that if you would. If you just join me in prayer for a few moments, um, let's, let's pray together. God, we come to you tonight in need of your grace in this moment that we find ourselves in our country. We come to your throne with burdened hearts. We are so thankful that you hear us when we pray to you. God, we lament that image bearers were lost this week because of the events at the U.S. Capitol. We pray for the grieving families to draw near to God and be comforted by God for their loss. We pray for the continued protection and safety of our congressmen and elected officials. We're commanded, God, by you to pray for our leaders, and so we want to do that, no matter whether we voted for them or not. For those here in our church that come into this evening looking at witnessing what happened this week in our country, uh, we pray for comfort for those that are fearful. We pray for peace for those that are fearful. We pray for healing and hope for those who are grieved. Uh, We pray for unity where we have different opinions. We pray that we might be peacemakers in a time of unrest and division. God, for our nation, we pray for wisdom for our leaders who are sorting through the ramifications of the events this week. And we do pray for a peaceful transfer of power and for our governing authorities to lead us in peace and civility. We pray all of this humbly with our eyes on the cross, reminding ourselves that Jesus is still our ultimate hope. No matter what happens around us, Jesus is our hope. He alone cures the riotous and rebellious spirit that is in all of us. And God, you alone can bring comfort and healing to us, even when we feel we're being misunderstood or wronged. You can cultivate humility in us, respect towards other people who are different than us as we realize that we are all lost before you and deserving of your judgment. God, our hope is not in a country, it's not in a leader, it's not in a government. We know the day will come when even all of those things will, will fall, will fade away. And we pray that on that day, you will cause our true allegiance to be shown to you and to you alone. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you. Well, when, uh, back in 1988, Brad was 12 years old, and uh, I was watching TV one night, and these things came on the television that I had never seen before. It was uh, four claymation raisins that were dancing and singing Motown songs, and I was mesmerized. Um, if you're a child of the 80s, you may remember uh, the, the concept of the California raisins, 
Um, the folks that were behind the California Raisins idea back in 86 put together a commercial. This is the SunMade folks put together the, a commercial for them. And uh, a couple years later, they did this mockumentary. Uh, and that's what I, I saw that night, uh, unexpected to me, uh, called Meet the Raisins. And so they had this like kind of behind the music kind of thing where they were talking about how the raisins had found one another and started singing together and touring together. It was really silly, but I, as a little 12-year-old guy, was absolutely enthralled with the California raisins. And here's what I was enthralled with. I had never seen claymation. And if you, you don't know what claymation is, claymation is basically the, the clay version of stop motion, <clears throat> stop motion animation, right? So if you're familiar with stop uh, motion animation, um, you've got uh, people behind the scenes moving objects in very small increments between individually photographed frames so that they will appear to exhibit independent motion or change within a series of frames as you play it back. I could not figure out in my little 12-year-old brain how in the world they were getting these claymation California raisins to sing and to move. It blew my mind. Now that I know about claymation, uh, I know that what was happening was what I just described to you. There was someone uh, on the outside animating something that wasn't in and of itself, it didn't have any life. Something from the outside had to move the body parts to make it look like it was moving if you began to play those frames one right after the other. I, I began to figure out that the clay, the clay raisins, these clay figures who in themselves could not move, were being animated by something outside of them. It was amazing to me. In many ways... What I just talked to you about, as corny as that is, describes for us what our life is like as believers as we think about salvation. Hang with me. Something in salvation from the outside of us has to animate us, has to awaken us, has to activate us, has to energize us. We can't change ourselves, we can't save ourselves, we can't wake up our hearts from death to life. Something else has to do that for us. In our own strength, it's impossible. Over the past few years, we have heard from you that uh, you would like for us to talk a little bit more about uh, the third person of the Trinity here at Mercy View whether that's been in personal conversations with you in, in missional community hangouts or uh, even like covenant renewals, uh, we have heard you loud and clear and we, we've been listening and we really have felt a conviction that this is the time to begin to talk more about what many call the forgotten God, the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so last week we began a multi-week series on this idea the, the subtitle of our, our series is The Present Power of the, Hol the Holy Spirit, and that is really what we're looking at, and we're really setting some tracks for us as a church. We want to talk about the Holy Spirit, not just to grow in knowledge, but also to think about the way in which the Holy Spirit wants to move in our own lives as Christians, but also in, in our church, right? 
And so last week, we began our series by looking at a couple of things. First, we started really lofty, 30,000 feet view of, of the Holy Spirit, and we just said like the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We are, because we are a Trinitarian church, we affirm that idea. We think that that, that is important to say out loud. And that's where we began last week. And then we moved more in a focused way to talk about uh, a big idea about the, the Holy Spirit. And it's this, is that the Holy Spirit is God's presence made personal in us, right? We, we said that the Holy Spirit has always been, the Holy Spirit is God, so the Holy Spirit has always existed but we said that, that in the New Testament, particularly Acts 2, we see the entrance of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes up habitation in a new way that he hadn't before. He takes up uh, a dwelling place inside of us. The Holy Spirit was sent to live inside of us. So when we say that God's presence is made personal, that's what we mean. God's presence is now not just near, but actually in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we said, like, that matters. If we believe that truth, it, it matters. It matters for us as believers. It matters for us as a church. And we asked this big question last week. Do we, if that's true, desire to see the Spirit move among us? Or maybe more simply stated, it would be this. If the Spirit desires to move among us in, in our own lives and in our church, do we want that? So tonight, we, we need to do a little more grounding uh, our, our biblical and theological understanding of the Spirit as we move towards more practical outworkings in this series. We're going to talk about the, the gifts of the Spirit, for example, all of the gifts of the Spirit. Um, that's a practical outworking of the way in which the Spirit indwells us. And so before we get to things like that, we need to continue to sort of till the ground as we think about who the, the Holy Spirit is, his personhood and his attributes. And so, tonight I want to talk a little bit more about how the, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And we don't have a lot of time. We're really going to just focus on one big idea this evening, and, it, and it's this. The Spirit supernaturally animates our hearts in salvation. Really what I want to do tonight, last week we talked about a big concept of this that, that, that God's presence has become personal in us, to dwell in us. And now I want to talk about how that happens. And really, in a lot of ways, we're talking about how it begins for us as believers. How, how does the Spirit initiate salvation in our lives? Actually, the Spirit is the one who does the initiating. And so I want us to kind of think about that. And what we're going to do probably over the next few weeks is talk about the ways in which the Spirit continues to move and to work in our lives. Maybe I could say it this way. Tonight is really talking about the way in which the Spirit uh, justifies us. And in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the ways in which the Spirit sanctifies us. So tonight, really talking about this idea of, of justification, and, and it's this, the Spirit supernaturally animates our hearts in salvation. So if you have your Bible, look with me there at John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, you're probably familiar with the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. If not, this is... Uh, uh, a story that is uh, very emblematic of the ministry of Jesus, the earthly ministry of Jesus. 
Jesus uh, many times would engage with individuals as they're wrestling with and struggling with the the message of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. The the words of of Jesus, we're going to see in our story tonight, the the, the works of Jesus, the, the works of the kingdom. Now, what you need to know about the Pharisees, if if you don't know this, they are probably the most rigorously religious of all the Jewish religious groups at this time. Uh, They are serious about the law of God, which was in the Scriptures, but they had all kinds of other laws that they had created because they thought that it would produce holiness and it would make them righteous before God, or so they thought. And uh, Nicodemus was at the absolute pinnacle of this group, right? If you notice the language there that he was considered the ruler of the Jews, this means that Nicodemus was at the top of his game. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And, and, and that's interesting because in our story tonight, we see this Pharisee of Pharisees, the ruler of Jews, Nicodemus, sneak out and uh, approach Jesus at night, right? Um, we don't know exactly why he did that, but it's likely because he knew that his colleagues would frown upon him talking to Jesus in this way, in particular, asking Jesus the kinds of questions that he asked of Jesus. But I think the simplest thing that we can say about why Nicodemus is coming to Jesus is because he has started to pay attention to his heart. Here's what I mean by that. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of, these, of the day, other, other religious leaders, uh, other sects of religious leaders, um, they were really interested in Jesus. They were intrigued by him. They were uh, confronted by him. And so they would have watched Jesus a lot. They would have heard a lot of the message of Jesus because they were on the outskirts of these crowds listening in. And also, they would have been watching the just overall ministry of Jesus, so not just hearing the words of Jesus, but also seeing the way in which Jesus ministered to people. And and one of the things that you know about the the ministry of Jesus, Jesus, um, uh, he uh, was, uh, through the the power of the Spirit, able to do signs and wonders, uh, healing people in, in miraculous ways. And these religious leaders would have seen this too. And what's interesting about our story tonight is that Nicodemus engages in this conversation with Jesus and essentially affirms with Jesus, hey, we think you are God because not only are you saying that you are, but you're doing stuff that only someone who is God can do. The the miracles that we see can only be um, explained because you are God in the flesh. But again, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus because he, I think, is wrestling with something in his own life. He is seeing the disconnect between his approach to life and to religion and to spirituality, and he's listening to the message of Jesus, he's looking at the ministry of Jesus, and he's realizing those are two radically different things. And so he's paying, paying attention to his heart, and he, he's got to get this straight. And so he approaches Jesus. And Nicodemus, again, acknowledges at the very beginning of this conversation that the religious leaders know that he is a teacher of God. He can't help but look at Jesus and see and know in his heart that like something is different about Jesus that doesn't quite square with his own experience in his religion. He wants to believe, I think, in Jesus, but he's not quite sure that he can yet. So 
Jesus helps him out. He responds by saying this, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you have been born again. Now, before we talk about the language of being born again, I I want you to notice something that's happening here with Jesus. It's something, honestly, I've not really noticed in in this passage before until this week. Um, When Jesus says to Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you have been born again, here's what I think Jesus might be doing. Nicodemus just said that he knows that the, the religious leaders know that Jesus had come from God because of the signs and the miracles of his ministry, right? The miracles uh, of the ministry of Jesus are the signs of the kingdom. So I think Jesus is doing something really gracious here and something really winsome here that we can take a lesson from him on. It's, it's almost as if Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, If you believe that I've come from God because of the signs that I'm performing, you are seeing the kingdom. And if you're seeing the kingdom, you might be a Christian. You might already be born again. Right? Jesus is responding to Nicodemus' comment about, you know, we see the works that you're doing. You, you must come from God. And it's like Jesus is saying, if you see it, you, you might be a Christian. I love this. It's so winsome. It's so engaging, so gracious. Jesus is already beginning to invite him into relationship. He's making, I think, Nicodemus aware of ways that he's not even yet aware that he might be being drawn to God in his, uh, in his grace. So notice Nicodemus is confused though by this, right? He's confused about Jesus' statement about being born again. Uh, this would have been a, a pretty challenging idea to put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes, right? You hear that idea, it would have been disorienting. He, you can tell because of the questions that he asks. He assumes that Jesus is talking about being physically born again a second time, right? He says, how can a man be born When he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Jesus serves Nicodemus by helping him understand what he means. And here's what uh, what Jesus says. Look there with with, with me, if you would, in verse 5. Let me just read that again for us. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And this really brings us to the thrust of what I want us to to talk about tonight. We said earlier that, yes, the Spirit indwells us. That is His home. We are His home. We We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. But how the Holy Spirit indwells us is important for us to understand and experience And again, I said this earlier too, in a lot of ways what we're talking about tonight is the way in which God initiates the work of salvation in our lives. That work that's initiated is done by the Spirit. The Spirit begins His work in us in a particular way, and He does it the same way for all believers. And here Jesus gives us some insight into how the Spirit works in making Christians, well, Christians. And the language of new birth is just that, and and here's how we're going to define it tonight. New birth is this, the Holy Spirit supernaturally gives new spiritual life 
by connecting us with Jesus through faith. Let me just say that again. The Holy Spirit supernaturally gives us new spiritual life by connecting us with Jesus Christ through faith. So, new birth, the the idea of being born again spiritually is the supernatural act of God in which he takes the Holy Spirit and implants the Spirit at the very base of your heart. And and, And that implementation of the Spirit gives your mind, your will, your emotions, your entire being a whole new direction. That's what the Spirit does in salvation. I love how author and theologian G.I. Packer says it. He says, new birth is a change in our way of existing so radical and far-reaching that the only adequate comparison is our physical emergence from the womb into a world that is unknown. I love that. This is how the Spirit indwells us. This is where our experience of the Spirit as believers begins. It's what theologians call regeneration. It is a part of the larger theological idea or chain of salvation. And and before regeneration, what is our reality? We are spiritually dead. We are uh, uh, legally guilty before God. But We are in the Spirit, given a new nature, given faith to believe, so that we can be born again. When Jesus tells us that we must be born again, what he's saying is that our present condition is hopeless without his intervention. The good news of the gospel is that God sends the Spirit supernaturally to give us that new nature. The Spirit brings us into salvation through Jesus. That is an objective reality of what happens in the new birth. So here is the big thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. You've heard me say it already. The Spirit supernaturally animates our hearts in salvation. Now, don't get thrown off again by that word animate. When we think about animate, a lot of times we think about cartoons which actually is good because that is exactly what, uh, is, it's a picture of what the Spirit does for our hearts. Something outside of us has to animate us, to uh, uh, energize us, to awaken something in us. And that is exactly what the Spirit does in initiating salvation in us. He animates our hearts. He activates a faith to believe in God. He arouses in us a desire to place our full trust in God. This is what Jesus means when he says that we are born again. The Spirit energizes our hearts. It is his power that regenerates us. It revives our hearts from being spiritually corrupted to life and life abundant. The Holy Spirit is the supernatural animator in salvation. Now, briefly, I want to talk about why this is important for us, why this is important for us to wrap our our hearts around, our heads around, Um, and there's a lot of implications for this truth, for sure. But one that I want us to to look at tonight is this. The Spirit's work in regeneration is meant to turn our attention away from ourselves. Let me just say that again. The Spirit's work in regeneration, in energizing, in animating our hearts in salvation is meant for you to turn your attention away from yourselves and to God. 
Now, for some of you, maybe tonight, maybe some that are listening to this uh, online, you might say, like, this idea that something from the outside is what changes me, like, I don't get to change myself, you, you might object to that, right? I said, I don't like the idea that I have to be completely dependent on God to come in and transform me and change me. You might say, like, Brad, I'm not that bad of a person, right? I, I can be strong, right? I can be smart. I, I can be resilient. I don't, surely you're not saying that I have to give up every bit of control of my life. I change myself where I can, Brad, and where I can't, you know, maybe God can help me there. And if that's something that you feel or something that is like part of your thought process as you hear this idea of what it means to give up control, um, I'm concerned about that for you. And actually, I'm concerned about this. There's something that is kind of happening, um, and it's, it's probably been going on for a bit of, of time, but a growing sentiment in some areas of Christianity that sounds a lot like those thoughts. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Let me preface this by saying uh, I am not against people taking care of themselves. In fact, I think more often than not, we, we do need to raise our hands and say, man, I, I need help, and to be dependent on others to, to step into our lives and, and help us. But, but I, um, I'm concerned about some, something that I see a movement really that's afloat in some segments of Christianity that I actually think are not of God, and they are uh, shifting and changing the way that some people think about God. In fact, they might even call it Christianity, and it's not. It's been corrupted in some ways. And, and I guess why I want to talk about this tonight is because, again, it's not wrong to take care of yourself. Um, it's not wrong to raise your hand and say that you need help. But how you do that matters. And who is at the center of that help matters. So here is the thing that I'm hearing more and more. It's, it's this sort of uh, sentiment Discover the best version of yourself. And you, you do it this way. You determine your truth. You perfect the way that you are. You, you need to know that you are entitled to your dreams and that you can't love others until you love yourself. Or maybe said another way, it's, it's your goals plus hard work equals achieving your dreams. Like if you hustle, if you push, if you achieve, if you're resilient, if you stay strong, if you don't let things bother you in life, you can become whatever you want to become. But notice who's at the center of that. That's where this begins to fall apart, right? It's, it's all up to you. Or it's some sort of combination of it being up to you where you can help yourself, and, and beyond that, maybe you will appeal to God for his help. Friends, that is not what Jesus is teaching us here in John 3. Jesus is saying that the way that we are made right, the way that we become right, the way that, that we are justified, it, it comes from outside of us. It comes to us from God in the Spirit, unless that is the how of the change and the who of change, we are Tempted, tempted to be or are on 
a treadmill of behavior modification which will exhaust you. It will lead to crippling anxiety. It will lead to crippling insecurity. Here's what Jesus is saying in John 3. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are people with pride and self-righteousness who hear about the new birth and they lose hope. Why do they lose hope? Because they don't want to face up to their sin. They don't want to face up to the reality that they have fallen way short of the glory of God. They, they uh, don't want to uh, give up their sin, right? They, they love their sin more than they would want to give it up. They resist giving up control of their lives. They think they can figure out their spirituality on their own if they work hard enough. They think if they're tough enough, they can even endure the really hard things of life. And then there are people who hear about the new birth and their hearts leap with joy. They say, finally, there is a solution. I don't have to earn this righteousness. I don't have to make myself a Christian. What a relief. And those people find that they are able to live in joy and, and peace even in the midst of real difficulty. They don't have to deny that sometimes life is just really hard. They have comfort in the midst of the suffering because the who is that is at the center of their life is the one that's bringing them comfort, the one that stands out above any and all suffering in our life and also enters into the suffering of our life. So the question for us tonight is which are you and which is right? Right? If you find yourself tonight tired from trying to make yourself right, I have good news for you. Remember verse 3, Jesus said you have to be born of the Spirit to even see the kingdom. That means that you, you, know, you couldn't even see this, want this, unless God was already working in you and opening your heart and moving you towards it. Like if you're asking these questions, if you're considering these things tonight, to me, that is a sign of spiritual life. And I wonder if the Lord isn't doing for you what Jesus was doing for Nicodemus and saying, I'm, I wonder if you aren't on the road to placing your full trust in me, giving up control of your life, giving up sin, experiencing the new birth. For all of us tonight, the call really is the same. The way that you and I change the way that you and I experience freedom, the way that you and I are daily saved from ourselves through the grace of God is from the outside of us. It's on the outside of us. It's done by the Spirit. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For those of you that desire to enter the kingdom of God, I'd be honored to talk with you about what that looks like. Respond to the Spirit. Respond to the way that he's moving in your life. For most of us here tonight, the question for us is, can we say that we are in the kingdom of God firmly as kingdom citizens experiencing this reality? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Are you born of the spirit? And if so, are you experiencing the freedom that comes from him? You can be. You have to receive him, and he'll make all things new for you. He will bring about a new birth in your life.
Let's pray together.